This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 107.5 FM, Unholstered. Welcome back. It is time for another edition of Unholstered. My name is Kayla Blakesley, and I'm alongside my co-host. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Catina. I am a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome once again to Unholstered. Uh, we've been hanging out with you on the weekends for quite some time now here on Unholstered. And if this is your first time tuning in, uh, this is the show all about your local media department, which is me, teaming up with our uh, Fort Wayne Police Department here in Fort Wayne to share and tell all of the stories that don't often get told when it comes to law enforcement. And not just on behalf of the Fort Wayne Police Department, but really law enforcement agencies uh, all across the country. And I think it's about time, Sophia, we disclose something that I, I, I didn't realize was happening until as of late. But a lot of people think we're hosting this show live. I know they do. And I... I <laughs> I guess I just assumed that people understood we weren't. <laughs> yes, I, I kind of understood that, too. Uh, but full disclosure, Sophia and I do not host this show live. We'd love to. Yes, absolutely. Um, one day. One day. But because a lot of our guests are members of our Fort Wayne Police Department, um, they can't be available Saturday mornings. Uh, so we pre-tape the show whenever we can get our guests availability. And I say all this to say, Sophia, you and I received a lot of criticism over the weekend, over the past couple of days. Right. Uh, because last Saturday, we weren't talking about the mass shooting in Uvalde. And um, we were we were talking about what I still think was some important topics of conversation. Uh, we were talking about mental health as uh, May was Mental Health Awareness Month. I thought it was still a really important issue. However, a lot of people wanted to hear from us um, talking about Uvalde. So that goes back to my comment of, no, this show is not live. Had Sophia and I been live last weekend, we probably absolutely would have been talking about the mass shooting um, at the elementary school there in Texas. But we weren't live. So we're getting it to uh, getting to it this week. I don't even think I need to recap the story for all of you. You know exactly uh, what's happened in Texas. And it's just just absolutely horrifying. And Sophia, I reached out to you, oh, geez, less than an hour ago. I said, hey, can you come down to the studio? Because we need to talk about this. Yes. Um, here's, here's where I'm at with it. And I just want to get this out there right out of the gate. Because there's been all of this talk. And there has been for years. There's this movement, uh, you know, the see something, say something movement. And while I, am, I completely agree with that, I struggle with that a little bit. Because there's a lot of people talking about see something, say something, moving forward from this shooting. And... That movement's always bothered me a little bit because in the case of today's world, unfortunately, I think a lot of it's due to social media, but see something, say something. And I don't know if this is a bad example, but it's the one I'm going to use just to get my point across. I am a white young female. I'm in my 30s. If I'm outside the school picking up my kiddo from school and I see, let's say, uh, a black male carrying a firearm outside of my daughter's school you know, see something, say something. Let's say I report that because this looks a little odd to me, a little bit suspicious. I feel like in that scenario, not I feel like this happens a lot. All of a sudden you're labeled the racist for calling it in. I feel like in the see something, say something mentality movement that we have today, you actually say something and you are labeled the racist or the homophobe or the bigot or some, something else, whatever, you know, whatever's trendy that day to be labeled. That happens, that happens a lot. And so I don't know if people are seeing something if they're saying anything. It's difficult. And I, and I get where they're coming from, but it should never deter you from doing the right thing. And in that case, it would be a call to 911. Hey, there's someone out here. We need a full description. Because to keep that from being just us randomly just start stopping people, I want to be specific of who I'm looking for. So clothing description, you know, male black, male white, short hair, long hair, female black, female white, Hispanic, Asian, I, 
we need to know those details. I think the more details we have, I think the less it comes across as, hey, this is a racial issue and more of a, this, is, this isn't right. Mm-hmm. And we have to go with our guts. We, and I'll, I'm going to make a lot of viewers angry or listeners angry, but women have an intuition. Mm-hmm. Whether men want to believe it or not, we have an intuition. And we have to start relying on the intuition. Um, and men have it, too. They're just more, um, I think, because they're that in that role of the protector, they think less about it. But as women, you know, we're always looking. We can oh, sense yes. creep a mile away. And I think we need to start going back to to just calling on that. You know, if you're seeing it, someone else is seeing it, too. And if we're getting two, three, four, five calls, we're going out there. And we're going to get out there with with expediency. How does that work? Let's let's say I, I saw something and I said something and I picked up the phone and called 911. Let's say I'm the only person that is called about this male outside of school with a firearm. What's the protocol? How does that work? So it, it would probably go in as a suspicious person armed. We would send someone out. Now that doesn't necessarily, but we have to know what he's being suspicious about. So being close to that school armed, I would think that would heighten the suspicion. We would send someone out to check. Now, We've got to be very careful, though, because there are constitutional rights people have. And just because you're carrying a gun um, doesn't mean we can stop you, ask you for ID or anything like that. Now, being around the school, maybe you're wearing a long, puffy coat in the middle of summer. I mean, there has to be things we can articulate that would make that a suspicious Hmm. thing. Um, So we have to be very careful as well. So the more information we get, the better off we are. Now, someone just says, hey, there's this white guy with with, um, a white T-shirt and blue jeans walking around with a gun. There's not much we're going to do with that. Hmm. Now, obviously, with with around, are they in a school? Are they looking in windows? Are they pacing back and forth? Do they look like they're in some kind of crisis? There's all these information things that we put together to make the bigger picture. You know Michael Joyner. Obviously, you know Mike well. (laughs) Uh, He was the public information officer for the Fort Wayne Police Department prior to you taking over the role, right? Mm -hmm. And back in the day, oh gosh, this must have been seven, eight years ago, I, would, I leave for work uh, during my day job about 3, 3.30 in the morning. And at the time, we didn't have a garage, so we parked outside along the street. So I'm always very cognizant of my surroundings. And we had an elderly neighbor, a woman that we knew well. And one morning, I'm going to my car, and at the same time, I'm seeing what I thought was a male running from her home in full-on winter coat, jeans, and a ski mask. And so I immediately, in my phone, started jotting down what I could make out of this person. Uh, he had white sneakers on, blue jeans, the, the full nine. I tried to write out the best description I get, and I called up Joiner. And it's like 3.30 in the morning. But I'm like, I don't know what else to do. I don't know if she yeah. just robbed, he just robbed my neighbor, or he broke into my neighbor's home. I have no, and he's running. He is physically running from her home. Scared the daylights out of me. Called Joiner, woke him up. They sent someone out, knocked on her door. Long story short, it was the mailman. And it was cold that time of year. There wasn't snow. At 3.30 in the morning? At 3.30 in the morning, delivering mail is what it came to. And I, I thought wow. that was strange. I'd never see, I'd leave at work for the same time every morning and never saw the mailman. He was highly offended, you know, that I, I, I called in. That's, again, going back to my see something, say something mentality, how you can get labeled certain things for doing so. But I said to Joyner, and I even apologized to Joyner. I go, I'm so sorry for waking you up so early. I'm sorry for any friction with this, this gentleman, which I'm like, now he knows the neighbor next door called. And Joyner said, no, Kayla. Anytime, just like what you said, anytime you think something is out of the normal, he's like, I don't care if it's 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 7 p.m. at night, you call. Yeah. You make the call. But I will um, say, though, that's a misstep. 
And if seconds count, you calling him, then he has to make the call. And and did you lose something in translation with him? Did he catch it all because you just woke him up and now he's got to call in? So seconds matter. I mean, we're already behind the eight ball because we're probably not right on top of the situation, although sometimes we may be. But seconds matter sometimes. And I know if I was that neighbor of yours, I'd be happy that you called and were looking she out. She was. She actually ended up baking you us know. cookies and brought yeah. them over the house. That, for me, I would think that's a good neighbor. Yeah. Um, and it, it would be suspicious. Even for me as a police officer, I see a at three o'clock in the morning, mail. I've never ever heard of that. Yeah, ever. Me neither. So that would be suspicious. I still for me. am not sure really. Well, you know, I can only be yeah. told so much. I'm sure. Yeah. No, I think that's a good neighbor that you you were a good. neighbor. But you bring up a, a, a good point. Seconds matter in that scenario. Yeah. And we have do people do that all the time, not just with suspicious, but we have people call like their mom when they're involved in a domestic and telling her instead of calling us. And sometimes maybe that's just a point, so no one sees that they're calling the police. I, I get that, but sometimes we get that a lot. The second, third party calls um, when it should. Be directly to us in the case of uvaldi and i know we can't really talk specifics yet sophia because there's so much that i don't know and at the surface let me i'll come out right now it looks bad on the police's part it really does i I will admit that at this point i don't know all the all the info but what's coming out and some of the stuff i've heard it looks it looks bad well in this case it does seem like things were said and there were some social media posts on behalf of the shooter he wrote on social media, posted pictures of his guns, saying, you know, the kids should be aware. I'll watch out for the kids. You know, just some really strange stuff. There were some red flags. And I'm not asking you to weigh in on what happened or didn't happen, because I know you can't. I can't. No one really can yet. We've got the DOJ launching a whole investigation right now. We're all still trying to figure out what happened. But can you walk us through maybe... I don't know. Maybe protocol is different from department to department. I, I don't it know. It is. Okay, so it, it is. is. Yes. So there, the first thing we just learned... Yeah. Can you walk us through a active shooter situation, how it's supposed to go, at least maybe in our neck of the woods? Yes. So in our department, we've been training active shooter for a very long time. Um, we had uh, Lieutenant Zelt, who was on with our SWAT team, yes. uh, Columbine. As soon as that happened, SWAT team started training. Uh, Kevin Zelt uh, started training. He started studying, and he's like methodical. You know, he's such an excellent, been an excellent trainer and presenter to us. So we've been training and getting presentations on active shooter for a very long time, since a little bit after Columbine, once they can they could put pieces together. And here in our city, we are very fortunate. We are very fortunate to have a community that's behind us, that supports us, and that funds us properly. Um, That's a big one. Yes, it's huge. Um, not all departments have that luxury. Uh, these smaller departments, rural departments, Ugaldi is one of them because they're, I think their whole town is about 20,000 people. So their department is not going to be huge. So I'm, assume, I'm assuming that their training budget is not huge. And I've heard lots of stuff, little snipes on social media about police being highly armed and mm-hmm. highly trained. I'm like, I would hope so. And, and fortunately for us here in Fort Wayne, we are. But these smaller rural departments or smaller suburb departments are not necessarily so. It, and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, the defund the police movement only exacerbated that problem because now even more funding kind of got cut from some of these places. Um, even with a uh, touchy subject around here, but the constitutional carry yeah. uh, law that passed. So some of these fees that departments charged for the license were used for training ammunition for training purposes and now you've just undercut all that so now um that that budget's gone for some of these smaller departments we never relied on that but some of these smaller departments did 
Um, so the, it, uh, it's going to come back to training. It's going to come back to that. But we're getting back to what we do here. Like I said, we've been training for several, several years. We've had a couple instances where we've used that training, and our, our officers have been just amazing. I'll just say it. They were amazing. We had an uh, what came in as an active shooter call at the Beauty College. I think it was Ravenscroft. Ravenscroft. Yeah, I remember. A couple years mm-hmm. ago. Um, we actually, during one of our trainings, our department-wide training, we watched film on that because the school had video throughout the school. So we could see when our officers arrived immediately what they did. They formed up. They went in as a group, just like they were trained. It was I still got, I just right now I got goosebumps just because I'm recalling that video. And one of my good friends was the tip of the spear on that. So I was really proud of her. Wow. Um, but you could see them moving through methodically, you know, uh, going through that uh, building to try and number one, find the active shooter. Number two, you know, locate victims, call them in. Um, because we, we also have a, a trained fire personnel that will be escorted in with officers for, for victim rescue if that needs to happen. So, like I said, there's so many levels of training that comes onto that. And, and I'm just, like I said, I've said this on the show before, I am so fortunate to work in a department that cares about its community. I've got I've got so many thoughts, Sophia. I just yeah, it's, it's, there's so many stuff I want to get out here, too, and we got 27 minutes. I, I guess the... My first thought is, you know, you mentioned that tip of the spear and you're a friend of yours being at the tip of the spear for this particular situation. I feel like when it comes, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. In fact, I'd love you to correct me if I am wrong. As a civilian, as someone who knows you, I know a lot of members that serve on our, our police department, also our county uh, department. And as a member of law enforcement, as a first responder, uh, as a member in our military, uh, I have this expectation of you that you are willing to put any other person's life above your own, whether that be a criminal, a drug dealer, or a child, you're willing to put their life above your own. And so when you are that tip of the spear, if you will, when you're you're going in first, I mean, that's that's your mentality, right? That's my expectation of you, because let's be honest, if you're the first one to approach a gunman, the odds of you getting shot are probably far greater. Right, but I also have protective gear as well. I bring it up because, and I I know everyone's probably heard this clip from Uvalde, You've got the police, allegedly they were in the hallway for quite some time before actually entering in classrooms and really doing their thing to find this gunman. And you had one of the police officers say, we were afraid of getting shot. At that point, if they if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot, they could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. That didn't sit well with me, Sophia, because I do have this expe- expectation of you guys that you're putting everyone else's lives above your own, and that doesn't seem like that's how it played it out. It doesn't here. sound like that quote was probably the best thing that should have come out of anyone's mouth, even if you thought it. Because, um, you know, I don't want to get shot. Sure. sure. <laughs> I mean, I'm a human being. Sure. I don't I don't want to die. But is that but a I have taken... expectation of me to have of you? Maybe. It depends on the situation. Um, I don't want to run into my death. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to... Sometimes you, as an officer, sometimes you have to get there. You have to assess the situation. Like, what do I have? And do I have, is this a tactical situation that I can possibly win? Because if I go down and I'm the only one there, then what? Or or if I get hurt, now now someone's got to come in and rescue me on top of handling the situation. And so there's just a lot of things at play. And it's never like the movies. And I I just want to caution people, you know, that 
that an officer is going to make that shot every single time. And in this case, someone did was mm -hmm. great. But there were several people. Not everyone has that level of ability in, in marksmanship, um, especially under pressure. Um, you know, the Navy SEALs say under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to your level of training. If you don't have training, you're not going to know what to do. You're going to sit there. You're going to twiddle your thumbs. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to be waiting for direction. And if you don't have someone there that has a good, solid foundation about what to do and how to do it, nothing's going to get done. And you kind of made the point already in a, in a smaller town like Uvalde. They may not have the training yeah. that we have as a larger department. So I'm not going to criticize anybody at this point. I need to, I need more information. Yeah. I, I don't I don't like to jump on this bandwagon of bandwagon of, of denigrating people if there's something that needs to come out of this uh, this horrible situation i just i don't I, I don't understand the evil in people's minds sometimes but but as an officer i am tasked that is my job mm -hmm. i am supposed to go in and stop the threat um, and there is a difference between active shooter and barricaded subject um, sometimes an active shooter situation turns into a barricaded armed suspect and they're handled at a completely different hmm. operational level so I, I don't know at what point did that stop. Did So those are the, the minor things that before I beat a department up, I, I need to know. Um, because what starts out as active doesn't remain active. They could run out of ammunition or, or, and, or we don't know, or they could set booby traps. We don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, in case of Columbine, if you, if you remember that, they had set up booby traps mm -hmm. with propane tanks and things. So we've got to be prepared for that because we could take out a whole department especially the size of Ugaldi, and, and now what? Now we have to wait for other resources to come in. So there's just so many things that are unanswered for me right now. Um, but at the surface, I don't like what I'm seeing. How do you feel about there's all, yeah, there's all these calls, and I do not want to get political. Let me make that very clear. But obviously you're a 2A supporter. You have one on your hip right now. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about guns being, being the focal point of blame for what happened? I'm just never a proponent of that. I just, I'm not. Um, we've had on the show, and I totally agree, it's an inanimate object. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't, it's, it's, it's not going to shoot anybody here on my hip until I pick it up and pull the trigger. Um, I think we have to have start having a real conversation about mental health in this, Amen. In this country. Amen. And I think the bottom line, that's where we lie. You're never going to legislate evil out of people. Mm -hmm. They will find if they that don't should have be on a, a bumper sticker. You're never going to legislate evil out of people. And you're never going to stop someone whose intent is to kill people. Mm -hmm. They may run out of ammo, but they've got knives. They've got... You said you know, booby traps. Booby traps, yeah. you know. Molotov cocktails. And, and, and you can just get on the internet and look all this stuff up and learn how to make this stuff. It's not like it's not hard to find. Um, like I said, we sometimes the biggest people screaming are the ones that are the most heavily protected. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I <laughs> always see truth. like people in Hollywood screaming about, you know, well, guns and guns. M meanwhile, the um, Emmys and the Grammys and all those are the most heavily protected mm -hmm. shows on earth. They hire off-duty police officers. They have their own security. Who are what? They're armed. Mm -hmm. They're because armed. what are you afraid of? Mm -hmm. You know. So th those are kind of that kind of stuff really kind of starts to annoy me after a while. And then, you know, screaming at police. And we're just trying to do the right thing. We're human beings trying to do the right thing. And sometimes, you know what? We don't always do it. When it comes to mass shootings, do you feel like the defund the police movement has? changed protocol a little bit and i'm not even in terms of funding that departments are actually getting because i mean we kind of already touched yeah. on that yeah but this this mentality of you just said we're, we're trying to do the right thing 
But it does seem like even in a case of an active shooter, when you try to do the right thing, it still always comes back on you if the active shooter isn't actually present. Do you, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. In, oh, my gosh. I remember this one time at the mall. We got this call about an active shooter. And we went in. And we went in right. Um, we went in heavy. And people formulated. We had all sorts of Allen County, ISP, state police. We had Purdue University. Everybody showed up wow. at the mall because we had this report of an active shooter. We went in. We went in heavy. We went in right. And we got blasted on the comments on social media about overreaction. And I'm like, so what do you want? Mm -hmm. Do you want us to go in and do what we need to do? And then you're going to chastise us. And and then I said, I told you, I said, I read a quote on the Internet. And I said, this is perfect. I said, you know, if you if you if you walk on eggshells long enough, after a while, you're not going to make a sound. And that's where we're at right now. I feel like that's where we're going. Mm And we, we've chastised officers for doing and trying to do their best. And, and sometimes, yeah, they make mistakes and sometimes they're wrong. And if they're prosecuted and need to be prosecuted, then prosecute them. But don't denigrate an entire profession because someone somewhere screwed up. We don't do that with anyone else. And we don't run video after video after video after video after video. Soundbite after soundbite after soundbite. Yeah, ad nauseum. Um, you know, every profession has its people that shouldn't be in it Mm -hmm. and policing is no different and you've got to once you identify who those are then you have to make the steps to get rid of them let me read this tweet to you oh boy (laughs) that came across my twitter feed oh boy full disclosure she didn't know i was going to read this no i didn't it says if a surgeon makes a mistake that results in death they can be sued if a truck driver makes a mistake crashes and causes a death they can be sued but when a police officer makes a mistake that results in kids dying they're immune and qualified immunity. Can you start by telling folks what qualified immunity is for those who don't know? And then I would love to hear your response to that tweet. So I think people hear this, that police officers can't be sued and they run with this idea that they can't. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not Not true. true. Mm -hmm. It's not true. There are certain protections that officers do have, yes. When they're acting under the color law and there's a reasonable standard set by the courts, reasonableness standard set by the courts, That's what we fall back on. If a reasonable officer would have acted in the same way, then you're covered. What it doesn't cover is malicious or completely um, unreasonable actions by a police officer. So it doesn't happen often because oftentimes it's what we do is not unreasonable. It may be like shocking to some people. Sure. um, But violence is never calm it's never nice it's never wrapped up in a bow like television yeah it's not peaceful violence is violence Mm -hmm. and there have to be people willing to take that violence on for you um but qualified immunity is in in a lot of things um prosecutors enjoy it judges enjoy it politicians enjoy Mm -hmm. it i don't know why it is it's always the police because i don't legislate i only try to you don't make the laws no i don't And um, but I've got to act because that's my job as an officer, whether you like that law or not, especially when it comes to guns. A lot of people don't like, you know, red flag laws and and, you know, the constitutional carry. But but as an officer, I'm the one that's charged with, you know, making sure those are enforced. Um, So your fight isn't with me. Um, Now, you may not like the way I handle it, but this is how I'm trained to do it. And this is what I do. But but as a government worker. I think you have to afford police a little bit because who's going to want to do this job? Mm -hmm. And you may not ever need me, but I tell you that one time you do, you're going to hope I show up. Mm -hmm. And if no one's going to be there because no one wants to do this because every single time I turn around, I'm getting sued. 
because that's what happens. It happens now. There's tort claims that come left and right um, on police officers. Um, and, and we do get sued. Our city gets sued. Doesn't mean they settle all the time. Doesn't mean they don't fight it. Doesn't mean people just go away because they know they're not going to win. But it happens. And sometimes officers don't even know things happen. Things just get settled and they don't even know about it. Hmm. Um, a lot of times it's like, did we we breached a door and then we're getting sued because we breached the store trying to get their loved one who'd fallen down and I can see there they clearly can't get up and so I kick the door in and now I'm getting sued because I made wow, entry. No kidding. You know, it doesn't happen all all the time, but sometimes it does. Sometimes it does. Um, so if there's I this. People are so quick to jump on this immunity thing. Like, I enjoy and I can wreak havoc like Godzilla on a small town and nothing can happen to me. I'm immune. It's not true. It's simply not true. And you really need to educate yourself before you kind of talk about things like that because it's it's just not true. Well, that's my favorite part. You usually hear end qualified immunity from people who it's not like they're law enforcement. You know, it's always people chirping in the cheap seats. Yeah. Uh, that want to oh, make yeah. comments. Those cheap seats are filled. They are they're filled and they are loud. They are sold let me, out. Let me tell you what. <laughs> Moving forward from Uvalde, what can we take away? What can we learn? What can we do? I mean, I feel like on one hand, you know, we have we've talked about the defund the police rhetoric a lot. And 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 you bring up such a good point. Yes, our Fort Wayne Police Department here, really well funded. We're really well equipped. We have a lot of what other departments don't have. We're actually really lucky here in Fort Wayne. I hope people realize that. Yes. But you bring up Uvalde, Uvalde such a small town, uh, population like, what, 20,000, less than? I believe they're 20,000. So the actually township of Aboit yeah. is larger than the city of Uvalde. Yeah, so they, so they don't have what we have. I think it's this is just further evidence that this defund the police movement, that rhetoric needs to end. It does. And training is such a vital part of our job and and understand it's not just you have to be proficient in active shooter you have to be proficient in mental health and de-escalation and domestic violence there's so many things an officer has to be aware of and trained on because laws change every july 1st Mm -hmm. every july 1st there's something new coming out from our state legislature that we need to be aware of we need to be trained on we need to be you know given briefs about hey this is how the law is changing this is how it's going to affect we have to remember all that thing in the split second of a moment of every single call that we're on and we have to remember the Constitution and we have to remember that, you know, where to aim and how to handle this rifle that we've been given for these active situations. You know, every patrol officer has the ability to have um, an AR-15 uh, model of gun in their car along with a shotgun. We have less lethal ammunition. We have tasers. We have all this stuff. And I don't think people understand the amount of training that goes in before we can even hand those, that equipment out. Mm-hmm. Every officer has to go through training. I just went through patrol rifle uh, retraining, and it was great. It was transitional training, you know, transitioning from the rifle to your handgun back to the rifle. You know, it's, you know, miss, um, misfeeds, all that kind of stuff, having to clear a weapon if something jams. I mean, just so much training you have to come into, and people, they just don't understand the amount. And we have 400 and, you know, right now 60-some officers that we have to get through that training. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time. A lot of of people pulling off the street to go to training, out of what they're regularly doing to get to training. We have to schedule that. Right now we have a full class and a staff of like five at the academy full time that are responsible for all the training for all of us to keep our certifications up, to make sure we're proficient in handguns and firearms and taser. It's just a lot. Meantime, you've got one small department that on the surface, again, doesn't look like they... Doesn't look like they made the best decisions. decisions. But I'll wait. 
you know. Yeah, but I mean, you got you got the cheap yeah. sheets chirping already. Yeah. And that, and I think yeah. that's, to me that's at least the big takeaway, um, especially as a member of the media. I haven't yeah. chirped about it yet because I just don't even feel like I have the knowledge to begin to chirp. Yeah, about I, it. and I don't like to speak because I, I don't like I don't like to apologize. So me, <laughs> I don't want to say I'm sorry because I spoke before I knew wrong, what yeah. the real story was. Yeah. On the surface, though, I it will say bad. right now it does not look like the right decisions were made. But were they made on a malicious level? Were they made on a self-preservation level? Were they made because they just don't have the train adequate training or equipment? Because if you're sending me in with a, with a handgun to a guy who has fully armed with with a rifle and handguns and extra ammo, and all I have is what I carry, yeah, those are not good you're odds. You're likely going to lose that battle. Yeah, you're likely going to lose that battle. And you know what? And officer or not, some people are just not cut out um, to make those tough decisions on whether or not they're going to risk their life for that. I mean, you should have known that before you, but for but but again. Well, I'm not sure of, they've had situations like this or it, they don't think it's never going to happen here. Right. And I feel it's like never going to happen. Here. It is a little unfair of you should have known that before. I know people say that the, they like to say that, too. Well, they shouldn't have been a police officer if they can't make that call or can't make that decision. We can all anticipate what we think we're going to do in a situation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But until you're actually in that situation, when you're staring down the barrel of an yep. AK-47 and all you have on your hip is a nine millimeter. Yeah, when those when those when those bullets are flying yeah. towards you, man, a lot goes out the window. A lot and you, goes out the window. You really do. And that quote when I said it, you sink to your level of training. Yep. I've been in that situation. I've been bullets flying at me and man, it is not a good feeling at all. At all. And it's scary and it feels like a like a like you're in slow motion and you but you do what you do and we, we handled it and everybody was okay at the end, but it's not till after you think of things like, oh, wow, okay. And then right away, my overthinking mind is like, man, I should have done that, or I could have done that, or I could have done this. And it's a training moment. Each and every run, if you sit and think about it, is a training moment for mm -hmm. yourself. Mm -hmm. And on my way to runs, when I was working the road, on these, you know, party armed calls or, you know, someone's armed here working in this call in man i'm running through mine my mind of what am i going to do what am i going to do if this happens i can do this if this happens i'll do that in your mind i'm just constantly thinking about those things mm -hmm. and even even when i go to a restaurant or i go to a theater or i go to wherever i'm going to to relax which i never relax i'm still i'm looking at the exits okay if this happens how am i going to get people out of here if this happens what if i how am i sitting where am i going where's my cover where's my concealment I learned that about you day one you came in here and sat in the chair that you sit in because you can, my <laughs> I can to the see door. everything you yeah. can see everything um but and i do that most places mm -hmm. unless i'm with other officers that i know have my back then i'm a little more relaxed and i can or, or people i know people too that mm -hmm. carry and they're very proficient so i i'll sit with my back to the door if i'm around people i trust but if i'm not and it's just me with my family yeah you bet you bet your bottom dollar i'm watching i'm mm -hmm. watching everything mm -hmm. and I always feel bad when I'm with people because we're having conversations and I'm like, my head's moving around. Like around I'm not, exit, like I'm detached watching, yeah. from what they're saying to me, but I am not. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that can come across as rude, but that's just, that's just who I am. I would rather that, Sophia, yeah. than you not being yeah. on alert. I mean, I wish that you could relax. But I, 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 I do, it. too. I think my brain would like it. My sleep pattern would really probably <laughs> like it. Yeah. Um, and one day, maybe I will. Probably not, but I might. Okay, Sophia, let me... 
me just kind of circle back to this and maybe we can kind of end on this point. Back to when it comes to see something, say something. When it comes to the ability to actually do that, I know we have some apps out there and that you can call 911, as we mentioned earlier. But for example, when you like Google what to do in the state of Indiana in an active shooter situation or how to report an active shooter, you're taken to an FBI website and it's got this 52 page document. And yes, you're laughing. I'm this laughing. I'm like, oh, it so was I'll published the FBI. <laughs> 21 years ago. Yeah. Right. And that's what that, that, that's your guidance on handling or how to handle an active shooter situation. And I've never called 911 um, for an active shooter situation. I don't know what that's like. I don't know what kind of response I'd even get. I also have never used the P3 app that that Crime Stoppers promotes. I know we've talked about it a lot. I've heard that that app can be a little bit cumbersome sometimes. So I guess getting to the nitty gritty, I mean, what are we as a community supposed to do in a situation like this? Okay, first and foremost, Active Shooter is a 911 call. There is no other place to put that. There's no the P3 app is for even like suspicious activity with a firearm. Would you even call that? suspicious activity with a firearm? 911 is going to be where you want to go. If you're still hard pressed to not call 911 on that, please call our desk line at 427-1222. Yeah. Um, but they're going to send you over to dispatch <laughs> because that is a, anything with the with the gun. We're going to want to know about right away. And please articulate what's suspicious about that situation because that. If you don't, it may limit how it goes in as a priority. So if, hmm. um, if, like I said, if it's the middle of summer and they're in a down, puffy, long trench coat or, or you know, has a, have a ski mask on and going into a bank and with this long coat or something, you know, yeah, we're going to want to know about that. Uh, please articulate what makes it suspicious um, because, you know, how we handle that moving forward is going to be determined by what the information that we have. And that can be all anonymous that way, right? It can be. Calling 911 can be. We prefer you don't. We, we're not going to, like, tell the person your name. But if we need to get more information from you, we need to have someone to call. Because if it turns into be I something, see. then we need to have someone that, hey, initially called so we can get more information if we need to or clarify something if, if there's something a little bit off. So that is a 911 situation. And an active shooter is someone actively shooting. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when uh, someone's in a business and they've got a gun out and they're just throwing rounds down at people. That is an active shooter. That is a 911 emergency call. We will get to your call. We will get there. It's a priority one for us. Um, once that stops, though, and like it, it could potentially turn into a barricaded subject if the person stays in the business or, or we don't know what happened at Ravenscroft turned into be uh, where um, he turned the gun on himself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it turned into be a suicide. We didn't know that, though. We still treated it as an active shooter situation because it was moments between the two. It, it's just everything's going to come down to those details, that information that we're getting. So please be very, very descriptive in what you're saying, descriptive on clothing if you can, um, physical descriptions, those kinds of things. We're going to want to know all that information because it's important to us and our safety as well because those scenes are always so cha chaotic and the gunman could be coming out and the rush of people exiting and we wouldn't know unless we have that good description of that person. Do you ever hear about you know people who quote see something say something repercussions coming back on them? I have not heard anything. I'm not going to say it won't ever happen, mm -hmm. um, but if you are in good faith calling, you're you're not going to be in trouble. If you're maliciously trying to set someone up, as we've had things called they're called swatting episodes, where people will call in like an active shooter or something mm -hmm. going on and as a prank, um, it's first of all it's legal and not funny. 
Um, there have been people situations where uh, people have died in those situations because um, we and we've had them here. We've had swatting incidents here, but luckily we've identified what it was before it got to that level. Um, wow! But there have been people in some jurisdictions have died at the hands of police because misinformation was falsely spread about someone. And I think that started out as like an uh, like a prank between video gamers and stuff. Um, and then it just caught on the kind internet, of the and then TikTok trend. Yeah, and it, that's how it quickly spread. It was yeah. an internet social media thing, and then it just became kind of commonplace. And I think we haven't had one for a bit, but we're always looking out for those kinds of things. That's why I said the more information you have, the better off we're going to be, and the better off the situation will turn out. Well, I have a feeling um, this topic isn't going to go away. I'm sure we'll we'll revisit it again we in future episodes here of Unholstered. But that's where we're at right now because I know we got a lot yeah. of criticism for not talking about it. So there you go. And we um, will. We'll talk about it more, certainly. When we get more information out, maybe we'll bring someone on. We'll bring Kevin Zelt back. Yeah, let's bring him um, back. And we'll talk about this and how we went from that Columbine shooting and the training up to where we are now and how we keep that training at the forefront for yeah, us. Let's do it. Uh, I know what's coming up next weekend. I mean, next weekend, you're really going to want to be tuned in. It's, a, it's one of those topics. I mean, we say all the time that we talk about things that don't often get talked about <laughs> right. when it comes to law enforcement. Um, this, this topic really never gets talked about. Yeah. We're talking about cleanup after a death. Whether that's a homicide or a suicide or just, uh, you know, dying of natural causes and the body's been in a home for four or five days yeah. in the middle of 100 degree heat. Um, so we are talking cleanup after death next weekend on Unholstered. If you've missed any previous episodes of Unholstered, you can download us anywhere you download a podcast. Just search for Unholstered. Your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 1075 FM. Podcasts by Federated Media.